Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. The title of my sermon will pop up. It's uh, Crazy Like a Christian. We're going to get a little crazy this morning. So I wanted to tell you about like one of the most uncomfortable moments of my life actually happened in a prayer meeting. Um, like when I was growing up, my mom would make me uncomfortable all the time. Um, she was like the type of woman that wouldn't take anything from anybody. And so if anybody at customer service or if anything went wrong, she would just lay into them. And you remember as a kid how embarrassing it was when your parents would like you know, get in somebody's face about something. That was my mom. So that was rough. But um, I have like, I might need healing for this prayer meeting that I was a part of. Actually, it was a prayer meeting that I led um, about 15 years ago or so. This was back when I was the assistant uh, pastor at the Elgin Vineyard Church. And, um, and Pastor Tom was gone, and uh, we had a Wednesday morning prayer meeting, and so I was leading this prayer meeting, and there's probably about 10 people, um, and most of them were sweet little old ladies, right? Sweet little old lady intercessors who um, just love to pray and love the church, and these women were delighted that I was uh, leading this prayer meeting because um, they just so wanted to honor Pastor Kevin, right? And so they were, we were praying and they were just saying, you know, uh, as we were praying, they were like, you know, Pastor Kevin, we just love you so much. And, you know, you carry so much authority and they're kind of like building me up. And at one point, uh, after about an hour of prayer, one of uh, these, these two women in particular, and they were literally like 80 years old, one of them said, the anointing is on you, Kevin, and I know that God is calling us to follow your lead. And so what we want you to do is we want you to march around the sanctuary, and we are going to pray as we march around the sanctuary, and we're going to follow you. And somebody was playing guitar, and um, and so... Uh, they asked me to lead a procession of all of us around the sanctuary. Well, I'd never done that before. And so I said, sure. And so we're marching and praying, and I didn't know when to stop. And I I didn't want to seem unholy. And so we just kept marching and marching and marching. I, I went around that sanctuary about 400 times. Like, I wore those old ladies out. <laughs> Because I just didn't know when it was appropriate to stop. And so when I couldn't walk anymore, we sat down, right? And so we were all exhausted. So that was really awkward for me. Um, but that isn't even close to what happened next. So we kind of wrapped up our prayer meeting. It was very anointed. It was very good. And um, and these women came in with like paraphernalia. And so they came in with like tambourines and things like that. Um, and at any rate, so I'm helping, I'm helping these two women out to their car. And our church is actually situated in Elgin. It's downtown Elgin. It's situated directly across the street from uh, Elgin Community College, the downtown campus. And this was in the fall. And so there were throngs of students right outside of our door. And, um, and as we're walking out, I've got this box full of stuff and the women were just so, um, full of the spirit and so enamored with what God had done. And they were just like so excited that, um, as we, as I was helping them get to their car, 
uh, the anointing was not yet over. And so they, uh, she said, we need to pray for you. And so they're praying over me. And all of these college students are around. And then I heard one of them say, Betty, get the shofar. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> does, does anybody know what a shofar is? Okay, there it is right there. It's a ram's horn. And when, when I heard her say, Betty, get the shofar, I was thinking, no, Betty, don't get the shofar. <laughs> and she takes this shofar out of the box and um, puts it to her lips and begins to blow into this horn with all of her 80-year-old might. I, it's, it's a bit uncouth, it's, but the beginning of this sounded like just like farting sounds. <laughs> that's, that's all. You got to get a shofar going. Right? It takes some time. And so pretty soon she got it going. And these things are deafening. And so all you could hear is. And all of the college kids just right there. You know, like what's going on? And I had my eyes closed as hard as I could. Just praying for the end of this time together, right? It was so, so uncomfortable. And I wonder if you guys have ever been uncomfortable in your lives, not because of your mom, but because of your faith. If you've ever been in a, in a moment in your life where your faith in Jesus has led you to feel embarrassed or exposed or scared or challenged in some way. We're going to talk about that today. And you guys, uh, if you've been here for a while, you know that we've been uh, in the book of Acts for now probably two months, and we're actually starting our descent. Uh, and so we'll have a few more, uh, a few more uh, weeks where we're, we're dealing with this. But what we've been doing is we've been looking in the book of Acts for pictures of what God uh, is calling us to as a church and what we could be, what the church was created to be, and what we in particular at Thrive what God is is stirring up in us. Because we don't want to model ourselves necessarily after the churches that we came from or the American church. What we want to do is we want to follow the lead of Jesus. And we want to follow the lead of, the, of the, the word of God. And so we've been digging into Acts and we've just been asking God, God, teach us and mature us and grow us up and set us on fire. And so this morning, I want to talk to you guys about something that's a bit unusual. And that is I want to commend us to be a bit unusual. That's what I want to do with us. And I, I want to begin by telling you guys, and I hope you know this, that I literally have zero interest in being weird. Like, I do not want to be weird in any way, shape, or form. I have spent a lifetime trying to get people to like me. I have spent a lifetime trying to fit in. And so I want to be completely usual, okay? But as I've been kicking around the book of Acts for the last couple of months, I began to notice something there and then I began to realize that I'm seeing it all over Scripture. And it was something that in the past I sort of passed right over, but um, you'll start to see it everywhere in Scripture if you have eyes to, to see it, and it's this. And I want to I share with you a premise with you, and the premise is this. Here it is. Listen. If our faith is real, it will cause us to do some foolish things in the eyes of the world. If our faith is real, it will cause us to do some foolish things in the eyes of the world, and to be honest with you, it'll probably cause us to do some foolish things in the eyes of the church as well. That's the premise for today. 
Okay, and so we're going to check in with Acts to see what I'm talking about. So right out of the gates in the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, uh, we talked about this a couple of months ago. This is the moment of Pentecost, right? And so the uh, the followers of Jesus, there was about 70 up in this upper room, and the Holy Spirit falls in them, and uh, it's called Pentecost, and tongues of fire were on each head, and they all streamed outside at the same moment, speaking in other tongues. And of course, what was happening outside, if you know Acts 2, was that there was this large celebration where people from all different nations were coming uh, for this festival. And so all of these people came down from the upper room and they're declaring the glories of God to these people, but they're speaking in their native tongues. And so they're speaking in all of these different tongues, right? And so I have the scripture up here, and we're just going to get the the relevant verses, but in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, all of them, these are the people in the upper room, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Those are the tongues of the Medes and the Parthians and the Greeks and all those guys, right? So they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Skipping down to verse 12, now this crowd who has heard the, the glories of God being declared to them, it says this, they were amazed and perplexed and they asked one another, what does this mean? And here's the key phrase, verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them. And they said, they've had too much wine. So they go out after this incredibly important anointed moment, this a moment that was set up by God, that was almost like pivotal for all of our faith. And the result was that some people, when they encountered God, made fun of them and they said that you guys are just drunk. Okay, and they laughed at them. Skipping down to chapter 26 in the book of Acts, we have Paul now, and Paul has been arrested, and he is, uh, he has this incredible opportunity. He's meeting with the governor of Judea, the Roman governor of Judea, right? So he's meeting with this non-believer, and Paul's supposed to be defending himself, but what he's really doing is he's sharing the gospel with the governor of Judea. So it's a really powerful moment, okay? It's an exciting time. And so as he is sharing his faith, verse 24 says this, at this point, Festus, this is the Roman governor, interrupted Paul's defense, and he said, you are what? You're out of your mind. You're crazy, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. And so Paul shares his faith and his listeners accuse him of being crazy. And if it were me, I would be so frustrated. I'd be so bummed out, right? If I were like operating, if I were doing what God was calling me to do, if I were trying to walk in faith or or honor him or obey him, and then people call me crazy or they call me drunk or they make fun of me, I don't know how you guys would feel, but I would be disappointed I would be embarrassed. I would feel like I was doing something wrong. But what I want to posit to us today is I just want to ask the question, could it be that when people give us a weird look, when people sort of respond to us in a way like, I don't get you, I don't agree with you, I don't know where you're coming from, could that actually be a sign, not that we've lost our way, not that we've been doing something wrong, but in fact, could it be that when when people in our culture kind of get weirded out, and not because we're weird in some bad way, but when people kind of take note of us, could it be a sign that we're actually doing something right for the first time in a long time? And I want to flip that coin a bit. And I want to say that if in your Christian walk, if there is never a time where people kind of take note of you, if there's never a time where people go, 
That's, that's a really kind of strange thing. I don't know if I agree with you. I don't know if I believe that. That behavior is like, I, I, I saw you like raising your hands during worship or whatever that is. If nobody ever takes pause with you, I, I, I just want to ask you, have you lost your way a little bit? Have you lost something of what God is calling us to? And I, I have noticed a cultural shift uh, in America. We're going to talk about our culture for a little bit. And um, I, I see sort of two things in sort of the spirit of the age in our cultural moment right now. One of the things that I see is that in this post-Christian culture, which is what we are and what we are moving very, very rapidly towards, fewer and fewer people uh, believe in Jesus, fewer and fewer people are, are uh, going to church. And so in our post-Christian culture, um, I see a couple of different mindsets that are, are happening. One of them is a total rejection of absolute moral truth, right? We are living with sort of record high levels of don't judge me-ness, right? That's all over the place. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. And strangely, at the same time, we also are living in this sort of fundamentalist cancel culture, right? Which says that if anybody gets out of line with the prevailing school of thought in our culture, you are shut down. You are immediately marginalized. You are out, right? And then I say, God bless America. That's who we are, right? So it's the 4th of July, right? And so we have this cancel culture and we have this sort of morality that everybody gets to choose for themselves. And here you and I are placed in the middle of all of this. And with all of our lives and with everything that we are, we are called to declare this one thing. And the one thing is, Jesus is Lord. In the middle of all of that, you and I, carry this message. We carry this heart, this mantle that says Jesus is Lord. And that proclamation out of necessity will put us at odds with people. That declaration out of necessity will put us at odds with people in our culture. We are called upon by God on one hand to say that we reject this relativism, right? There is a right and there is a wrong. There is a moral standard that is not defined by us. It is defined by God, the one who created us and the one who created us all, right? Spirituality is not the same as discipleship. Spirituality is not the same as discipleship, and love is not the same as tolerance, you guys. We do not get to choose our morality. Instead, we are chosen by God, and we come under, and we submit to the moral standard, his moral perfection. And at the same time, when our culture is screaming to take down anyone that would disagree or speak anything out, that would go against the flow of our culture and cancel them out, we are here to declare the mercy and the forgiveness of God to anyone, regardless of what side of the political aisle they may fall on or whatever their declarations may be, because we represent, we represent Jesus to the world. And so the question is, for me, as our culture evolves or devolves, depending on your point of view, I want to ask you, do we want our thinking and do we want our doing to continue to flow right along with the culture? Do you want to blend really well, so well, in fact, that your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers would have no idea that you disagree with them on a myriad of issues. Is that what we want? Because I believe increasingly to follow Jesus is to depart from the value 
and the culture that the values in the culture that we live in to to depart from the wisdom of this world. First Corinthians chapter three verse eighteen says this. Paul says, "Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think that you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you'll become truly wise." Right? For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. And so I want to say to us that we should watch out if we are constantly praised as wise by the world standards because the faith, our faith in Jesus will increasingly cause us to look foolish in the eyes of the world. And if we don't, that ought to give us pause. If we don't set, if we're not set, like set apart, if we don't stand out in some way, I just want to challenge you that possibly you are not manifesting your faith and you may not be walking out your faith in the way that you are being called to. And if I were being honest with you guys, I believe that too many of us are hiding these days. I believe that too many Christians are hiding. We are hiding what we believe. We're hiding what we know, what we've experienced, and we're hiding our our, our true faith because we don't want the friction. Because we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be marginalized. I believe that's happening in every church. I believe it's happening here. I know it happens in my life. Uh, but Jesus said this. This is so important to us. He said this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you, talking to you, talking to me, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown down and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, right, where it could be seen. And it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. This is who we are, church. We were made, you and me, we were made to stand out, not to blend in. We were made to shine brightly, to influence. And that's really, that's the point of my message today. We're supposed to get salty out there. Have you ever, have you ever talked about somebody like, it's pretty salty today, you know? That's us. We should be formidable in our culture. We should be different. We should be countercultural and radical. And I, I wonder how many of us are willing, you guys, to follow the overtures of the Lord, to follow the invitation of the Lord, no matter where it may take us, even if it may make us look foolish, even if it may challenge us or someone else. I want to look at an Old Testament example to illustrate what I'm talking about. We're about to be challenged here. Uh, in the book of Daniel, there were three Jewish guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys know these guys, right? They had Jewish names, and I have no idea what their Jewish names are. Does anybody, anybody know that? I don't know. But they're in there. So uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these were three guys. They were in Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar was the, the uh, king of Babylon, and um, they were held captive. And King Babylon, the king of Babylon ordered the entire nation to worship these idols, uh, including Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to bow down and to worship these guys, these idols, under penalty of death. Right. And um, and so literally everyone was worshiping the idols of the age, everyone. And there was incredible pressure on Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego because to disobey this would have been to lose their life quite literally. And so in Daniel chapter three, verse 16, it says this. 
King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, by the way, this is uh, Daniel speaking, and it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend yourselves, uh, to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are to be thrown into the blazing furnace, which would be the penalty for disobedience, if we are to be thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand, but even if he does not. Now, that's important because at this moment, they realize that they are at risk. When they step out in faith, when they step out in obedience to God, they're putting themselves at risk. It's not a lock. And so they said, God will deliver us, but even if he does not. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine when the culture and everyone around you and everything around you is bowing down to these idols and the king said, if you do not, I will take your life and the gall of God to say, don't you do it. Don't you worship those idols. Don't you bow down to the culture, you guys. You are made for me alone. You are created to worship and follow me alone. Don't you bow down to the idols of this age. You honor and obey and worship me alone. Don't do what's easy and go with the flow because you are set apart. That's what God is speaking to us today. That's God's message to us. Don't you bow down to the wisdom of your culture, or this age that you live in. You are set apart, Thrive. You worship me alone. And I wondered, as I was just processing this, why would God ask such a hard thing? Why would God ask such a hard thing of us? Why would, of, why would God ask such a hard thing of these poor guys, right? Why would he do it? And I don't know all of God's reasons, But I know this, you guys, I know that when they stood up to Nebuchadnezzar, I know that when they refused to bow down to him, God showed up and he delivered them and he received a great glory. He was glorified in them and through them because of their refusal to fall in line with the demands of their culture. And as I was... As I was praying, I spent some time just praying for this word. I spent some time praying for you guys as I was preparing. And I asked God, I was like, God, you know, why would you call us to do that? How can I deliver this message to this church, right? How can I call them out of their comfort zone? And he said to me that I am worth it. That was just what he said. That was just all he gave me is I'm worth it. I will be worth it to them. I will be worth the sacrifice, church. That's what he's telling us. He's worthy of our risks. He's worthy of our rejection. He's even worthy of our embarrassment. And when we step into hard things, and when we step into scary things, and when we, when we put our reputation on the line, it becomes a fragrant offering. It becomes worship. A special kind of worship to him. Something that pleases him and blesses him. And so you might wonder, why would God call me to pray for that coworker who is sick with cancer and to declare to them that I believe that God is real and I believe that he can, he, he can heal and he can heal you today. Why would he do that? Be, excuse me, because he is worthy and because they are worthy. 
You understand that, right? God manifests not just for us and not only for his own glory, but because of the worth of the person standing in front of us. You might wonder why God would challenge us or call us this word, this message from him to somebody that doesn't know him, that somebody that doesn't believe in God or somebody that doesn't believe that God still speaks today. And yet God is calling you to, to speak a prophetic message, right? And so we have to tell this person who has no paradigm and no grid for this, that not only do we believe in God and not only do we believe that God speaks, but that we can hear God and that God has a message of encouragement for them? Would God ask that of us? He would. And when we step into it, he is glorified. And when we step into it, we do it because that person is worthy to him of our embarrassment. They're worthy for us to be the channel of God's ministry to them. We might wonder why, why God would ask us to give our hard-earned money to someone who might need it, just like the, the kids were doing this week at, at uh, Wood, you know, Woodfield Mall. Why would God call us to, to part ways with the money that is precious to us? Maybe we need the money to give it to someone else who could use it because they are worth it to him. That's why. And so I want to ask, are there any of us who are willing today to sacrifice reputation? Are there any of us who are willing to sacrifice comfort or convenience so that God can move through us, so he can speak through us, so he can minister through our lives? Is there anybody here that's willing to be courageous again and more? I'm going to give you um, a quote from Jimmy Carter, and um, it'll seem trite, But if you think about it, it's more important than you think. Jimmy Carter said that the best fruit in life is found out on the limb. The best fruit in life is found out on the limb. And I know that it's trite, but it's also true. Life gets fun and it gets fulfilling when we step out in faith. Let me say that again. Life gets fun and it gets fulfilling when we step out in faith. And most of my favorite God moments in God's stories are times when I stepped out at a risk to myself, at a risk to my reputation. I'm excited. I remember the stories where I did something courageous, and you do too. Those are the best stories. And so I want to kind of wind down by helping us to understand how this could actually look. What could we really do to begin to sort of operate with more courage, to operate with more glory to God, even at our our own expense, the expense of our reputation or our comfort or something like that, right? And so here's how this could look in your life right now. The first thing I want to encourage us to do or challenge us to do is to stop hiding who you really are. Let's decide that we will not hide who we really are anymore. And what I mean by that is this. Um, I'm a on-fire, die-hard Christian. I love God with everything that I have, right? And I run around in circles of people uh, that are on-fire Christians just like me and circles of people that are not on-fire Christians like me. And in those different spheres in the past, I have operated differently in each of those. Have you? Right? And what I want to challenge us to do is I want to challenge us to fully be who we are everywhere. Everywhere. One of the things that I noticed about myself, uh, this was, I don't even know when this was, a couple years ago or something. I remember talking to a non-Christian, and I was talking to them about something that was going on in my life, and I'd been praying about it a lot. But when I spoke to that person, I said I was thinking about it a lot. That's not right. That's not right. And what would have changed if I would have said, I've been praying about this thing 
right? That's what I want us to do. Because when we open up our, our lives and our faith and our beliefs, something about it, if we do it genuinely and we do it humbly, it becomes inviting to people. And so I want to just ask you, what would it look like for you to fully manifest your faith wherever it is that you go? And I'm not talking about you being dumb or weird or anything like that. I'm just talking about you being you. About you just sharing who you are and what you've been up to. Like, do you tell everyone about what you do over the weekend? I went to church, had a great time, worshiped my brains out. That was awesome, right? Do we do that? I want us to, to fully be who we really are. I want to start talking about God. I want to start talking about our spiritual practices, about what we believe. Uh, and, and just share with anybody who is willing to listen because that's just who we are. Because we are a light that is not supposed to be hidden. Correct? Second thing I would say is this. I want to encourage us, and we've, we've asked this in the past. I want to challenge you to start saying, can I pray for you right now? Right? Can I pray for you right now? Um, I had, I was at a party this, uh, this past week, and, uh, there's a large group of people, and I, uh, saw a, uh, couple that was there that I don't know very well at all. They are a gay couple, and I felt God saying, go talk to them. Go hang out. Just hang out and, you know, build relationship with them. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. And so, uh, I knew that they were unchurched, and they had probably been hurt by the church, and God was calling me to go and to engage them. And so that's what I did. And I went, and I hung out. And we talked and we shared and I shared my faith and I shared about Thrive and about the Bible. Um, and I spoke blessing over them and I prayed over them and I invited them to Thrive. And I did that at some level of risk because I was so transparent uh, and I ran the risk of either alienating them or I don't know what, but I shared everything that I had to share and I spoke blessing and it was a time of great uh, intimacy. It was powerful and I loved it. And I, my favorite part was praying over them. Can I pray for you right now? And I believe you guys that, that there are many, many opportunities that will open up and people will be touched and blessed. If we will just say, I want to pray for you right now. I want to engage your life right now. I care about it because God cares about it. And the last thing I would say is this, and this is, I kind of consider this sort of master level stuff, so it's not quite as um, easily, uh, uh, you know, applicable, but just think about this. God is looking for some who will keep in step with his spirit. God is looking for some who will walk by faith, who will obey. And I believe that there's people in this room that if you're listening to God, you will hear God invite you to do a scary thing or a difficult thing or a beautiful thing. And you will see God shine in your life and you will see more glory because you're willing to go out on that limb. And I just love, there's this verse in, in the book of Chronicles and it is so powerful to me. And it says, it says this, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order, uh, in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth. They're scanning the world, looking for any who would be fully committed to him so that he can strengthen them. And that's what God is doing today. He's looking for those of us who would say, I am fully committed. I'm giving everything that I have to you. I will go out on that limb for you because he wants to strengthen you. That's what he's looking for. And I want to ask, will you give your heart 
and your thoughts and your words and your actions fully to God when you leave this address. I want to just ask you, will you do a scary thing? Will you do a difficult thing? Will you do a beautiful thing? I, um, I'm going to close with this story. I had the opportunity to, to do dinner with uh, a couple of couples this week, and I met a new couple, somebody that I'd never spent time with, just had met for the first time. And, uh, and this woman was sharing... Um, her, her life story with us. And, uh, and she was sharing how she, when she had grown up, she had grown up in a, a family that was completely without God. They had no church background. They, they were, I think, probably new age or something like that. Uh, but they, they just didn't have any, she, she said, I didn't have any paradigm for God whatsoever. And, um, over the course of her early life, when she was a young adult, she'd gotten to the point where she, was uh, so messed up by life and, and circumstances that she became suicidal, really, really suicidal. And so she found herself in a treatment program. So she was hospitalized uh, because she was suicidal. And while she was there, um, she met a woman who was this on-fire Christian. And uh, so they're doing this treatment program together, and, uh, and she got out eventually, and afterwards, this woman invited her to go to a group. She said, I want you to come. I meet with this group of ladies, and these women are, are Christians, which she knew nothing about Christianity. But uh, she said, we're Christians, and we meet, and we talk, and we pray, and we help each other out, and I want you to come. And she was in such a low place that she said, I'll give it a try. And when she walked into that group, she said, uh, she said this, and this is really important. She said she could feel something. And she said, the people there were just so, do you know what she said? Different. She said everybody there was different. They were people that she'd never experienced in her life before. And she said it was something about them. There was something about them that drew me in. And in that moment, she met Jesus. In that moment, her life changed. And today, she is thriving by every measurement. And it wasn't because all of the people in that room fit right in with the culture and with everything else that she'd ever experienced. It happened because they were different. And I want to ask us today, will you be different again for Jesus? Amen?